So if you're here with us new this morning, I just want to fill you in. We are going through a series uh, on in First Samuel, and today's going to be our last day for now in First Samuel, and it's fitting for us to do a series in the book of Psalms because David wrote many of the Psalms, most of the Psalms, and First Samuel gives us a little backdrop, a little background story of many of the Psalms. Um, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Last Sunday it was Mother's Day and we talked about the, the beloved story of David and, the Goli- and Goliath. David and the giant. And we, we focused in on that story and... Uh, <clears throat> And this week, we're going to look at the aftermath of David killing Goliath, right? There was a lot of celebration. There was a lot of excitement about what happened. David uh, saw God fight. We, we, we talked, the title of the message last week was, uh, The Battle Belongs to the Lord, or The Battle is the Lord's. God has fought for his people throughout history, and he fights for his people today. And David saw God fight for him when he faced this huge Goliath, giant of a man. And, uh, and there was a song that was being sung after this victory. So, music is powerful, right? David wrote many of the Psalms, and, and it's through the Psalms that he, he's influenced so many people and their relationship with God and having this intimate relationship with God. Music is just so powerful, and God has gifted us with, with this, this ability to create and, and listen to beautiful music. But music has a powerful influence on our lives, right? Little catch, catchy melodies, you know, with, with words that are, are we're, we're taught truths and lies through music, through, through melodies and music that sounds good to our ears. Well, there was a song being sung in Israel around this time after the victory over Goliath, and it was a song that got stuck in King Saul's ears, and he didn't like it, okay? And the song went something like this, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands, Right? And everybody's happy. They're singing, Saul has struck down his thousands. David has struck down his ten thousands. And Saul was just not getting into that tune. That was like the worst song. Like, are there songs that like just irritate you? That when you hear that melody, you hear that you're like, I just, how do I get that out of my head? Don't sing that song. You hear it, you hear somebody whistling it or singing it. There's, I, my, my children do this with various songs, and they'll just, they'll just, like a little bird, just repeat the song, right? So we want to fill them with good songs that shape them with truth about God and about the world, right? But this was one of those songs that was annoying to David. David himself didn't compose it. It was made up. The, the ladies, the, the, the young ladies in Israel composed it, and they were celebrating everybody loved David, Everybody loved David. He killed Goliath. He was uh, anointed as king. Now, m- most people didn't know this, 
that Samuel had showed up to his house and anointed him as the next king of Israel. I don't think Saul actually knew this at this point, but Saul realized and he saw the writing on the wall that David's influence was increasing. David was a mighty warrior. David was a godly leader. And Saul knew inside that he wasn't, right? He, Saul knew inside what, what Samuel had told him that, that the kingdom's going to be stripped away from you because you've disobeyed. You've rejected the word of the Lord. Samuel had to deliver a very harsh message to the king. And so we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I've titled this message, Friendship, Adversity, and Providence. Friendship, Adversity, and Providence. These are some elements that we see within this chapter, and we're going to pick up starting in verse 1. Let's pray. Father, as we open the scriptures, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word? Would you move us onto your agenda? Would you give us grace to do your will today? Help us to respond to your word today, to respond to the leading and the conviction of the Holy Spirit today, that our joy might increase and that you might be more glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him over the men, set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. This saying and displeased him. They have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can, they, can he have but the kingdom? Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and he hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. 
but David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings. And David, uh, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful all of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and he came in before them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. The Lord was with David and preserved his life, giving him what he needed to do the will of God through adversity. The Lord was with David and preserved his life, giving him what he needed to do the will of God through adversity. Notice how the Lord was with him in the effects of that, that favor that he had upon his life, that, that friendship that he had with God, that history that he cultivated with God. He walked with God. He knew God. The friendship of the Lord, he wrote later on in Psalm 25, is reserved for those who fear him. Right, And we wanna, when we want to get close to God and strengthen our prayer life, we read the Psalms and they give us vocabulary about how to commune with God and pour out our hearts to God. And David cultivated this. He had this. And the Lord was with him. David had, had cultivated this history with God in obscurity, in solitude. He had taken down a lion and a bear when no one else was looking to protect his father's sheep. And then his time to shine came forth. God, God anointed him and God gave him this opportunity and delivered him from Goliath. And, and God was exalting him. The Lord exalts and the Lord brings down. And who does? who is it exactly that the Bible says the Lord exalts? The humble. And who is it exactly that the Lord brings down? The proud. And that's exactly what's happening. We're seeing the pr prophetic prayer of Hannah that we read about in chapter 2 coming to pass. The Lord's lifting up. The Lord's bringing down. And it's not by the might of, of man that, it's not by might that man shall pr prevail. Right? And so, so we see that the Lord was with David. The Lord made him, he was successful wherever Saul sent him. And so Saul gave him, gave him more authority, gave him more responsibility. And Saul was afraid. He was, he was scared because he observed this. He knew that the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. Now the Spirit of God was upon David and was, was, was working through his life. And David had success in all his undertakings. David found favor with both God and people, just like Joseph, right? Just like Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph went through some really hard times, but the Lord was with Joseph. And God's hand was upon Joseph. God's favor was upon Joseph, just like Jesus. Luke 2.52, we, we pray this over our children, that like Jesus, they would grow in wisdom and stature and find favor with both God and man. 
All right? So here's, here's David, the, 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 the anointed king to be, the, the, the man after God's own heart, the, the king of God's choosing, the one that God's raising up who will do all of God's will. It says in, I believe, Acts 13 that David served his generation by doing the will of God. I believe that's verse 36. <clears throat> and so he, he found favor with both God and people, but he, unlike Saul, appeared to be more focused on pleasing God and doing his will rather than pleasing people and seeking to build his own kingdom. This is a, this is a different kind of king. This is the kind of king that God wants. This is the kind of leader that God wants leading among his people. One that reflects his character of humility, integrity, and faithfulness. But the Lord was with him and made him successful. David had the presence of God, right? David had the protection of God upon his life. David's life was preserved by God. David had the promise of God. And he, he, and he saw blessings come his way. Now, that was also accompanied by adversity. And so we, we must be careful not to equate, not to equate pleasant, smooth, peaceful, happy circumstances with the favor of God all the time, right? Jesus himself, Paul, like they, they went through a lot of difficulty, a lot of tribulation. That's promised to Christians. Our circumstances aren't where we get the ultimate uh, uh, um, affirmation that we're in the smile of God. We can have the smile of God upon our life and be going through a day like Job, right? And so David was going through some really difficult time with this mad king that was plotting to kill his life, plotting to take his life, who started chunking spears at him. And the story progresses. David was going to be the next king, but it wasn't going to come without trouble and without adversity. Just like Joseph, who had this great dream from the Lord and God was gonna bring him to the palace and he was gonna be this great leader and bless a lot of people but there were years of difficulty that he had to walk through. And there were years, probably a dozen or more years that David had to walk through before he, since he got anointed by Samuel as the king to be and when he actually took the throne. And in the midst of all that, that, that running, that evading, that hiding and, and, and just taking shelter in the shadow of the most high, just trying to make it, God was with him. God was blessing him. God was preserving him. God was keeping him. God was bringing about his good purposes in David's life. And all the while, God was using this crazy king Saul to get the Saul out of David. God was shaping and molding David while he was on the run. While he was was while his life was being plotted against, God was using it. God made him successful. Now, notice also that David had this friendship. He had favor not only with God and friendship with God and this connection with God, but he also had 
this gift from God, a friendship in, Dave, or in Jonathan, Saul's son. Okay, And we've already read about Jonathan being a courageous young man, a, a man who he and his armor bearer took on the Philistines. They, they, they snuck through uh, this, this, um, this valley and climbed up this mountain and, 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 and fought the Philistines. And he said, you know, you know, the Lord can save by many or save by few, right? And he saw great victory, right? And we see Jonathan, we see his... Um, his example of character and godly character, uh, similar to David, and the two became friends. They connected. There was this, this bonding that took place bef- uh, between them. David's friendship with Jonathan was exemplary. Verse, verse 1 says, As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. They were tight. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Verse 3, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And, and, and Jonathan was willing to give up his sword, his belt, his armor, and his robe and honor David with it. He was saying with that act that you're, you're, you're going to be the next king. He was, he was attributing loyalty and honor and commitment to David. He, he perceived the will of God. He perceived what God was doing in David's life. And he was on board in contrast to King Saul, who was all about his own kingdom, saving his own skin, his own image, preserving his own life. And so David and Jonathan were both warriors, courageous warriors, both godly men of character who loved the Lord, right? And they, they connected. Uh, Tom Constable says this, that Jonathan found a soul brother in David, a man who, was com- who committed himself to trusting and obeying God as he did. This common purpose of the deepest level of life is what accounts for the love Jonathan and David shared for one another. Right? They connected around this common purpose. Now, <clears throat> there some, I, I've talked to people who have tried to use these verses to support homosexual relationships. Right? And in our culture, this is just something that's prevalent, right? It's something, you know, when you read something like this, you, you know, corrupt minds tend to read the purity of this relation this description of this relationship and think corruptly that there was something weird or unpure impure going on in the relationship right god has wired us for friendships and to have pure healthy holy relationships within the body of christ with with people we're made for relationship with god and we're made for relationship with one another, and it gets it gets twisted and it gets perverted, right? And 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 David and and Jonathan had this connection, and they were uh, I, I imagine that they were secure in being able to express that commitment to one another and that love to one another without there being something uh, funny or strange going on there. Um, Tim Keller in his book, <clears throat> um, the meaning of marriage says this, he says, to, to be loved but not known is comforting, is comforting but superficial. 
To be known but not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense and humbles us out of self-righteous, out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies us from any difficulty that life can throw at us. This is one of my favorite quotes from Pastor Tim Keller, who passed away this, this week, godly man who died of pancreas cancer, 72. And though he wrote this in the context of, in, in a book on marriage, The Meaning of Marriage, which is an excellent book, I recommend it to you. Um, knowing and being known and loving and being loved is not limited to the marriage relationship between a man and a woman, right? God has wired us to be known and loved in our relationships, in our community, in a healthy, pure, godly way. And we all need this, okay? And so there's hope for this even for singles when you're not in a marriage relationship. You can have healthy relationships with, with those of the same sex and those of the opposite sex in a godly, healthy, brotherly, sisterly kind of way. And that's what First Timothy tells us. It tell, Paul told, told Timothy that, that older, we're to treat older men as fathers and older women as mothers and younger women as sisters and younger men as brothers in all purity. We need this. We need healthy relationships where there's commitment, where there's love and affection, encouragement. There's, there's accountability. There's, there's affirmation in the things that are good and right in our lives and through these relationships. And so one of the things that I mentioned here about Jonathan and David's relationship was he recognized God's will for David and he embraced it. He said in 1 Samuel 23, 17, he said to him, do not fear the hand of Saul, my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. And Saul, my father also knows this, okay? So Saul recognized that it was the will of God for David to become king. Now, it's, it's sad when we know the rest of the story. We know what happens to both Jonathan and Saul, that, that Jonathan passed away on the battlefield with his father Saul, right? Um, but, but nevertheless, th this is a true friend here who's calling out God's will for his friend's life, and, and even at the expense of his own uh, demotion, right? Um, uh, and, 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 his, and David's promotion, right? Um, listen to this. Uh, Robert Youngblood says that when, when Jonathan took off his robe and he gave it to David, he was in, a, in effect transferring his own status as heir apparent to him, Okay? This is like a John the Baptist kind of guy. Like when, when Jesus' ministry was increasing, you know, and, and, and more people were going to, to Jesus and, and following him after John the Baptist was baptizing a lot of people and the word about him was getting out and he was preparing the, he was preparing the way for the Lord. John the Baptist embraced his lot and he responded humbly in a godly way. He said, when he heard about this in John chapter 2, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. This is the kind of spirit that Jonathan has. It's not about me. It's, it's about the Lord. 
It's about his glory. It's about his will, not me, not my kingdom. It's about his glory and the good of others. And he affirmed that. Joyce Baldwin says that in our political world where power plays, where power plays such an important role, what would be the thought of a prince who voluntarily renounced his throne in favor of a friend whose character and godly faith he admired? I love this. So that's Jonathan's character. There's so much we could say about him and his, his godly character and the friendship that him and David had. We all need a Jonathan in our life. We all need a godly friend who we can share the deepest struggles with and be known and encouraged and pray with and call us out and say hard things to us that need to be said. In contrast, we see Saul's jealousy of David. If there's anybody who seems that, that might, you might think would be jealous in this circumstance, you might think it's Jonathan, right? Because like, that he was next in line to, to be the king. And yet he wasn't jockeying for that. He saw the hand of God on David's life and he affirmed it and he embraced it. But Saul, on the other hand, was operating in the flesh or operating under a harmful spirit, as the scripture says. Right? Saul was very angry and his jealousy of David deteriorated his inner life. When we read about Saul, we, we hear words of anger. Uh, we hear words of fear. We hear a description of jealousy or envy. He eyed David, right? And that, that jealousy led to anger. We hear about selfishness where he's building a monument to himself. We, we hear about him blame shifting and making excuses and cutting corners and him focused on the external rather than the internal character that God desires in the inner parts. And so we see this deterioration, this decline of King Saul and he's going mad. He's emotionally unstable spiritually unhealthy, relationally toxic. He's not the kind of boss you want to work for. He's not the kind of family member you want to see at holiday dinners, right? You want to avoid this guy. This guy's a little mad. He's a little crazy. He's chunking spears at people. And so <clears throat> Charles, Charles uh, Swindoll says, he writes about this, this deterioration inside, and he says, the writer H.G. Wells says of one of his strange characters, Mr. Polly, he was not so much a human being as a civil war. I think that is, that is a perfect description of Saul. He became a living civil war, miserable, possessed of an evil spirit, mentally breaking down, a suspicious, angry, jealous man. As a result, he struck out against the most trusted and trustworthy servant in his camp, David. David, who's the, the, the anointed king to be, right? And so let's just look at a little bit of the, the destructive nature of jealousy. Jealousy conveys discontentment in what one has. 
Okay? Jealousy implies that God is not enough, and what God has done for me is not enough, and I was just dealt the wrong life, the wrong lot. Jealousy fails to recognize the blessing one possesses, the blessings one possesses. It fails to enjoy them, to thank God for them, and to steward them well. Jealousy and selfish ambition are twins, and fear is a close kin. Proverbs tells us that a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he, is, <clears throat> when he, takes, ref, when he takes revenge. James chapter 3 tells us of this demonic operation of, of worldly wisdom and jealousy is a part of it. It says that if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And this is what we see unfolding through the life of Saul. This selfish ambition, this, this, this jealousy, this disorder, and he's breaking down. His world is falling apart from the inside out. And it all goes back to his relationship with God or his lack of relationship with God. He rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord rejected him as king. And he was raising up a godly king. And, and this was all a part of the judgment of God on, on Saul. And yes, it's severe. Yes, it's harsh. And it's a, it's a, his life is a negative example for us, a warning to us. We don't want to go that path. And that's not who we are as Christians. That's not our DNA as Christians. We're, we're, we're born again children of God. We're wired to love. We're wired to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep to outdo one another in showing honor. We're wired for that. We're created for it, and we're commanded to live like that. It's just how we're created to live. And Saul is an example of what we don't want to be, an example of somebody who lives according to the flesh, somebody who lives under demonic influence, whose outlook and mode of operation is demonically influenced. It's unspiritual. It's earthly. It's demonic. And we want to put that nature to death. We want to put that flesh to death. Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, writes about this sin that's tolerated in Christian circles. And he describes jealousy as intolerance of rivalry. Intolerance of rivalry. And he describes envy he says that envy is the painful and oftentimes resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. Sometimes we want that same advantage leading to the further sin of covetousness. And sometimes we resent the other person having something we don't have. But we don't just envy people in general. Usually there are two conditions that tempt us to envy. First, we tend to envy those with whom we most closely identify. And second, we tend to envy them in areas we value most. 
And he says, he writes, that the cure for envy and jealousy is to find our contentment in God. To find our contentment in God. This is a Christian virtue. As, as one Puritan wrote, it's the, it's the rare jewel of contentment. It's something that we need in life. And we need it whether we have a little in life or whether we have a whole lot in life. And we're not going to be able to enjoy life fully until we find contentment in God as him being our portion, him being our lot. David prayed a prayer of contentment in Psalm 16. Verse 5 and 6, he says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. If you're struggling with discontentment, pray this. Declare this. Ask God to work this in you, to see like this. God, you're my chosen portion. You're my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Is what God has given you in Christ enough? Right? Remember, we have a greater David. Jesus is our greater David. And Jesus had the favor of God upon his life. The smile of God upon his life. Perfect righteousness. Perfect And those of us who are now in Christ, by grace, through faith, we have the righteousness of Christ. We have the smile of God. We have the acceptance of God, forgiveness, redemption. His righteousness is credited to us. Just read Ephesians 1. Read about your inheritance and your lot. And Paul prayed that the church would have eyes by the Spirit to be able to see what we have in Christ, who we are and what we have in Christ, because he knows that that's what we need if we're going to be content. And we're going to live in the will of God joyfully as, as the children of God. We have what we need in Christ. Jesus has fought for us. He's fought our battle. He's given us his righteousness. He's made us righteous. So we can put off covetousness and greed and materialism because that stuff's not going to make us happy. We can can quit trying to strive for position and prestige and power so that we can get more likes and feel more significant about who we are in this life. We have what we need in Christ. He's enough. Listen to what what Psalm 73, uh, Asaph says. Here's a beautiful prayer of contentment as he envied the, 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 the wicked, the, the wealthy wicked, and it was painful, and he started to feel like, surely I've cleansed myself in vain. Surely, like, it's, it, what I'm doing for, for God to be set apart for him, it, it's vain. That those were the kind of thoughts he was struggling with and feeling until he went into corporate worship, into the sanctuary, and worshiped with the people of God, and he was reminded of the big picture. He's reminded of where the wicked, wealthy, or wicked go. And he was reminded of what he has and where he's going and his lot in life. And this is what he says. This is where it turns the corner in the psalm. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. 
You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is how David lived in contrast to Saul, who was just deteriorating on the inside, looking for something in this world to satisfy, or as the country song says, looking for love in all the wrong places. He couldn't find it. Instead, he finds another song. Saul has killed a thousands, but David is ten thousands. And it just irritates him even more. And he just couldn't find what he was looking for in his life. And, and neither will you and I if we're looking this way. Okay? We have to find it here. We have to find it in our relationship with God. He's our lot. He's our portion. He's our life and the length of our days. He will fulfill his purpose for us, and he's enough. Even if every pleasant thing in your life got stripped away today, he's enough. He's enough. We got to come back to him being that fountain of living water, being the only one who can satisfy us and give us what we need. And David, David learned that lesson as he was on the run, as he was in the fields, when there were no other eyes, no other applauses, no other affirmations and pats on the back. He had the Lord with him, the Lord to encourage him. And God was gracious to give him a friend, Jonathan also. We need friends too. We need friends and we need to be godly friends to others who are committed to one another, to be there, to listen, to encourage, to pray, to care. We're commanded to do that. And so let me, let me close with a couple points of application here. And this is more of an application sermon. Remember that you are designed for friendship with God and others, so be faithful to invest in those relationships. Friendship is a beautiful thing. I mean, I feel sorry for anybody who goes throughout this life without having good, close, healthy friendships. We need that, right? I, I, wanted to, I started reading uh, C.S. Lewis's Four Loves, and he talks about the four different Greek words for, for love, and he talks about friendship there. And I was gonna share something, but I'm not going to, but I encourage you, if you wanna, wanna dig into this concept of friendship, healthy, godly friendship, read that chapter on uh, C.S. Lewis's Four Loves. Um, but, but we need to be present. We need to be committed. We need to, we need to prioritize friendships. And we can't have this deep level of friendship with everybody, right? But we need somebody. We need somebody that we know and we're known by who can call us out, who can listen to our, our, com our complaints, our discouragements. And if you don't have that with, with this way, you, can, you got it with the Lord, okay? So pour your complaint out to him. And we should go there first, by the way. <laughs> we should be careful. If we have the best of friends, we should be careful not to idolize them and be going, them, going to them first when we should first be going here to our friend in Jesus, finding contentment here. There's certain things that we just need to tell him. 
But Paul says this, he says, love one another. We're commanded to live in healthy relationships. And here's the description of it in, in Romans chapter 12. Love one another with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection, okay? We, we freely give that here. We give hugs, right? We, we express affections. We're, us men, we're secure in our manhood. We can say, I love you, brother. And it doesn't take anything away from our masculinity, we can say, I'm sorry, forgive me, I was wrong, or I don't know, or I'm, I'm kind of anxious, I'm kind of afraid right now, right? We can be raw and real with one another as well. So Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. When someone else is getting blessed and we're going through a hard time, we could still clap the loudest and, and shout the loudest, hallelujah, Praise God instead of saying, well, what about me? I was praying for that too. That didn't happen for me. We're, we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that's what we do here at City Church. We have a friend in Jesus, but also God has, because of Christ, he's brought us into a family. He's given us intimate, sweet, precious relationships that we must steward and cherish and care for one another as we would care for our own soul. So show one, outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. I would just love is if, that, if that this is what happens while I'm gone on my sabbatical. Right here in City Church, family. That we would love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. How good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, the Father's heart's delighted. Jesus, his heart and his prayer in John 17 is that the church would be one and united. May we walk in that. May we walk side by side together for the faith of the gospel. Next. By the power of the Spirit, let us put to death our fleshly tendencies to be like Saul. We all have a tendency within us to be jealous, fearful, angry, and self-centered. The Bible calls this our flesh. Okay, our flesh. And we're told how to deal with our flesh. Not feed it. Okay? We don't feed it. We don't let it dominate in our lives. We are to kill it. That doesn't mean you're hurting yourself anyway physically, all right? You're saying no to that sinful tendency within you because it doesn't line up with the will of God. Romans 8 puts it like this, 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, here's good news. Christ has died to pardon our sins, to forgive us of our sins, to pay for our sins, and they're, they're taken care of at the cross. But he's also given us his spirit to empower us to walk in victory over sin dominating our lives. We can walk in victory. And so don't give in to the despair that it's always gonna be like this, this addiction that I, that I just can't seem to shake. Don't, don't believe the lie that it's always gonna be like that because there's freedom in Christ. There's power in Christ to live a life that's honoring to him and that blesses others. 
And so let us put to death our Saul-like tendencies, our flesh, and, and keep in step with the Spirit. And lastly here, be confident that the Lord Jesus will rescue you from every evil deed and bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. The same God who preserved the life of David through, through, through Jonathan saying, hey, my dad's going to try to kill you. Get out of here. Through Michael, his wife, right? Uh, hey, my dad's going to try to kill you here. Like, I'm gonna, I'll set it up, make it look like you're sick, asleep. You're going to get out of there. God used that. But then also when Saul came looking for him at, at Samuel's, Samuel's place, <laughs> the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he just kind of just got dismantled. And he actually took, took his clothes off. It's a very strange scene there. But God kept him from harming David. God preserved David's life. And this is what Paul said in 2 Timothy, his last letter to his spiritual son. He said, the Lord will rescue me out of, out from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And so be confident that the Lord Jesus will do this for you. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Would you all stand with me?